following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're going to read God's Word now, so do grab a Bible. There should be one nearby or uh, um, uh, on the floor. And Margaret's going to come and read from uh, the book of James. Uh, This evening's reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Uh, That's page 1214 in the church Bibles. James chapter 3, starting at the first verse. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. May God bless his word to us. Well, great to see you. We've been going through uh, a series called Ten Words, uh, Ten Words for Life, uh, thinking about uh, the Ten Commandments, the bits of the Bible, um, kind of early on where Moses has given the law for the people by God. And it's been brilliant. I think it's been great. Uh, but often, we, we call it Ten Words, strange title in some ways, they're often not words, they're kind of just singular words, they're kind of laws in and of themselves. And yet today I think I do want to dwell on one word in particular, and that word is this, integrity. Integrity. Let me pray. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Father God, we don't want to have worthless religion. We want to know Jesus and be salt and light in this world. So teach us today, help us uh, to have soft hearts and ready ears uh, to hear and to believe what it is that you have to say to your people. Thank you so much that you love us so. Amen. Amen. And if you'd like to scribble and such as we go on, I've got some handouts as well. Maybe if you could pop those behind. Terrific. And it, 
Let me read out the commandment that is in Exodus chapter 20. I don't think we need to flip to it necessarily because it's one short sentence. But this is the ninth commandment in full. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And really I've got two points tonight. And there's kind of two halves. You shall not give false testimony. And the second point is against your neighbor. So first of all, you shall not give false testimony. Testimony is a, is a legal word, and really this is referring to kind of due process, courts of law. Really the thing that is being outlawed here is specific. It is perjury, lying in court in a legal setting. And this, was, this has always been so important. It is still very much a crime, perjury. We still have a legal system that depends upon witnesses, largely, for uh, kind of prosecution and also for defence. But think back then to kind of several thousand years ago, an agrarian society, witnesses were absolutely key. You didn't have DNA testing, you didn't have closed circuit television. You needed a witness to declare that something had happened in order to prosecute, in order to have justice. You just rely on people telling the truth. And so that's why it kind of, this is so high up on the agenda of God's law, the importance of telling the truth when it comes to law. It's true today, and it's true back then. So much so that, I think in the Hebrew law, you're not supposed to believe the testimony of just one witness. There's a high burden of proof if we're proving things. Really, you want to have two witnesses, not necessarily because you don't always believe people, but because it makes it much more reliable. And if you're going to prosecute and bring people to, uh, which is why in that story of Nabas vineyard. There were two on either side of that guy. That's how they knew they were going to nail Naboth, as if two people had a consistent testimony about what they were going to say. It's important perjury. They say, don't they, that truth is the first casualty of war. But I want to say, really, this commandment is so important because truth probably is the first casualty of sin, of any sinful human activity. Once we've decided to break the other commandments, murder or adultery, the lying kind of just follows along after, doesn't it? It's just easy to do. It's just natural. It's what you do to cover up. Jen Wilkin, who's written a brilliant book on this uh, called Ten Words to Live By, heartily recommend, speaks of this. It is appropriate that the ninth word deals with deceptive speech as no one ever plotted murder, adultery, or theft who did not also commit to lie about it. No one ever plotted murder, adultery, or theft who did not also commit to lie about it. This commandment is almost common to all the others, living in a consistent and truthful way. That's perjury. Do not lie in court. But really, the way the Ten Commandments work is it's not just in the narrow sense in which it's written, but actually these laws are kind of catch-alls for a whole load of different behaviours. This commandment really indicates truthfulness and honesty in all of our speech, in all kinds of situations. And I've got uh, all sorts of other ways. I've been doing some thinking and some digging about other ways in which we can use our speech negatively to harm the truth and to harm one another. But it would be too easy for me to just give them to you. So we're going to do a little bit of interaction. Why don't we turn in our twos and threes? And this time, just have two or three minutes, maybe a bit longer, maybe three or four, depending on how it's going. I'll see how much people seem to be enjoying themselves. And think of how many ways you could think of using your speech dishonestly or to harm others. You got handouts. Think of it as a game. I got to 10. 
sure, why not? We'll give a prize for those who get uh, the most uh, over 10. Take two or three minutes, see how many you can get to. Okay, who... Uh, I think we're looking, there's a sweet spot here between quality and quantity. Um, but how, who, got over, who got over 10? What do we think? Who got over 10? Who got over 10? This is great. I, I'm the winner then. I got perjury, oh, we've missed out a number there somehow. Uh, that be my fault. Perjury, slander, gossip, unfair criticism, harsh speech, coarse joking, complaining and arguing, inappropriate silence, self-promotion, exaggeration, and imprecision. But I think you had a couple that I... Missed out. The, these are my ones. I'm not going to dig into all of these. You'll be delighted to hear. But let's, let's, take, uh, let's take one or two, mainly because I think these are ones that are commented on within the Bible itself. So the Bible does name many of these. The difference between slander and gossip, both are speaking about people in a way that's designed to kind of wreck their reputation. It's really damaging. It's corrosive. But uh, slander is often stuff that's simply not true, and gossip is stuff that might be true, but just doesn't need to be shared. That would be the kind of difference. And it's interesting that the Bible is damning about gossip. Unfair criticism, harsh speak, sh- coarse joking, complaining and arguing. That's one potentially is British people we might find a little bit convicting. Do you know what Philippians says about complaining and arguing? There's a quote from Philippians chapter 2, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. There's not a lot of room for wiggle room, is there? What if I miss lunch? What if I'm really tired that day? What if the thing I'm being asked to do is just really quite rough? Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's a tricky one, that one, isn't it? Exaggeration and imprecision. Uh, I wonder if this is is partly what you're saying about leaving out important details. I, I don't know about you... I have a tendency that when I tell a story, I, I will tend to just airbrush certain details out maybe or big up certain bits. And usually I come across in the story as a lot funnier than I actually am or cooler than I actually am. And everyone else is sort of slightly less. And it just, I don't know if you have ever experienced that or seen that. That's, that's one for me. It, it, there's a laziness with our words, isn't there? I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, oh, you always do that. Well, is that true? Do they always do that? I that's probably not true. That is in itself an exaggeration. It's an unfair one. At its root, it's just a little bit lazy. But actually, we're doing everything we can to paint other people in a terrible light, to paint ourselves in a good light. There's one there, though, that I think is worth pulling out, that, and that is inappropriate silence. That for many of us, me included, we, we say a lot of words, and possibly the danger is that there isn't enough silence. But sometimes there are situations where we should speak up, and we don't. When someone's being slandered at work, or there's gossip, and we know that that's not true. When a friend comes out with some particularly horrible jokes, and we're not quite sure, I'll just keep my head down, just be quiet. Someone says something misogynistic or racist, we just keep our heads down. It's much easier just not to, to let it slide. It's interesting, in the Church of England at the moment, I think there's a lot of inappropriate silence about different things that are going on in the hierarchies of the Church of England. Not all sorts of stuff, but there's lots of people who could speak up, say something, be courageous, and are not. It reminds me of a story of a guy called Richard Vernbrand. I don't know if you've heard of Richard Vernbrand. He's had a long and fruitful ministry. A Romanian who uh, was a Jewish and converted to Christianity. 
And he was kind of served during the Second World War. And then afterwards, the communists rolled in. And he was quite a famous and influential pastor. And the communists gathered loads of Christian leaders at a big auditorium, a big meeting that I think they called the Convocation of Cults, which is not a great start, is it? And they basically gave the pastors an opportunity to sing the praises of communism so that they can exercise a bit of control and coercion over everybody. And with these thousands of pastors in the room, one by one, different pastors stood up and basically spoke about how communism really was the true religion, how Jesus was just a communist, really. And supporting an atheist regime that was going to lead to the death of millions of people rather than to speak about Christianity. And I'm sure they convinced themselves, you know, it, there's, there's some elements of communism within Christianity. I'm sure this is fine to do. And uh, he was sat with his wife when this exchange happened. We got a slide on it. She turned to him, really upset, said, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They're spitting in his face. And he said, if I do so, you lose your husband. And she turned to him straight away and said, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. Oof. I'm not suggesting we all speak to one another like that when we want someone to do something, which is not wrong. He stood up and said, our duty, brothers and sisters, as pastors, is to proclaim Jesus and his good news. And televised to the whole country, he spoke for as long as he could about the good news of Jesus as the hope for humanity to a room full of people who weren't prepared to do what they'd vowed to do. He was a guy who spent uh, 14 years in prison, and it's worth reading his book, Tortured for Christ. In other words, our words have great capacity for evil, yes, but also for good. And there's a danger sometimes that we just don't say the right thing, and we rob people of the good that we have. All of those 10 ways that I had on the screen, uh, those 10 things, really they're all ways of just kind of harming others and elevating ourselves, aren't they? As opposed to kind of humbling ourselves and serving others. I think that's at the root of a lot of this stuff. C.S. Lewis's brilliant definition of humility is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself a little bit less. Now, if we could have those 10 things on the screen. I wonder, I mean, these are bad, aren't they? These are not attractive things written down. No one wants these. But how many of us have done at least one of these in the last year at some point? It's convicting stuff, isn't it? I've struggled to read that passage from James without feeling convicted every time. Listen to this. Likewise, James writes, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like a dangerous animal, we should treat our words, we should handle them with care. Now I know, given how powerful words are, that that it's rare that I regret being slow to speak. Let's put it that way. Do not give false testimony. Second point being, against your neighbor. 
Your neighbor, neighbor is a helpful word. Neighbor means just the person next to you, whoever it is. Everybody, in other words. And the Bible breaks this down in all kinds of different ways. Our neighbor might be people within our family, those people we do life really closely with, who is really easy, isn't it, to have uh, particularly tricky words for because we do life together. They see you at your worst. And a few weeks ago, we looked at a part of the Bible in Ephesians where Paul has a kind of particular uh, application where he says, parents, don't exasperate your kids. How easy is that to do with our words? Or maybe with our friends. There's a gentleness we can have with our family. There's a purity we can have in conversation with our friends. Not necessarily that we should all be kind of weird and only talk about one subject all the time, but in how we carry ourselves with our jokes, with our sense of humor, how we speak about other people. A really tricky one is colleagues, isn't it? Depending on where you work. The Bible would say integrity means having honesty in every situation. And sometimes that might cost. It's especially difficult if honesty costs our company contracts. That doesn't matter. Honesty is important. It might cost you face, cost your relationship with your boss. But as Christians, we should be able to say to our boss, look, I will never lie to you. But that means I'm also never going to lie for you. And I think a really tricky one when it comes to loving our neighbors is actually loving our enemies. I don't know if you've got kind of enemies who with their dastardly schemes always try and bring you down. But there's a strong chance, live long enough in this world, there are people who have it in for you don't like what you stand for. It's so easy to speak poorly of them in general, isn't it? Oh, they're just, he's just a terrible bloke. Not talk with precision, not talk carefully, not say anything we possibly could to their good, (laughs) not to wish for the best for them. And all through, the Bible says that the very, very best thing we can do for our neighbor in our speech if we could do nothing else, is to tell our neighbor about Jesus. This is the thing that all Christians are just called to do. Some are really gifted at it, some find it really tricky, but all of us should be willing to, be prepared to, share with people the word of life. Share with our speech something that might lead to their eternal good. Our words are really powerful. And it's interesting that, you know, this commandment's couched in legal terms. And what is it that the Bible's calls people who share the gospel with other people, we call them witnesses. We're witnesses. Almost in the kind of court of public opinion, in the court of our friends and family, we stand in the dock and we say, no, no, I do absolutely believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he offers something amazing for this world. The one big word, as we said for all of this, is integrity. Integrity, like a kind of construction word. Integrity means it's the same all the way through. There's no defect. And in every situation, whoever the neighbor is, you speak the same. That your colleagues would recognize the person that your family knows that hangs out with your friends. That even your enemies would say, yes, I know that they're actually like that. Wouldn't it be amazing if at St. Michael's Church, in churches all around the country, they were stuffed full of people with real integrity, It can be so easy to kind of let our words drop to the ground, say a little lie here and there, 
We don't want to do that because our integrity should be priceless to us. People could take all kinds of things away from us, sometimes just for telling the truth. But no one could take away your integrity. And that should be worth an awful lot. I mean, for your encouragement, I was, as I was writing this, I thought, you know, I'd play one place where I found real integrity. I, I wondered when I kind of joined the staff team at St. Michael's, I was like, look, we all know the kind of Sunday best that the staff team had. You know, Simon's super friendly and Ed's uh, pretty positive. That's an understatement, isn't it? Um, sorry, I should be more precise. Uh, Ed is outrageously positive. And, you know, Johnny's that perfect mix of kind of hilarious and laid back. I thought, you know, when I, Monday to Friday, when the tension's there or kind of all working together, is there going to be any difference? I'm very happy to report that I've not found that at all. I've found uh, women and men of real integrity all the way through, which I thought worth sharing for encouragement. Um, when I joined the staff team, there was only one person who kept putting his foot in it. Um, and that was me. I just read all this stuff. I don't know about you. I find it hard to preach on because I just feel unbelievably convicted. Those who know me know that I say a lot of words. So even if like 2% of my words are damaging, that's sort of millions of words every day. I just find this stuff really hard. So let's not forget the good news of Jesus. There are three parts to the good news of Jesus. First of all, our words need the forgiveness of God. Whenever we teach the law in Christianity, we realize that we've stumbled. What does James say in chapter 3, verse 2? We all stumble in many ways. We all get this wrong. Why is that? Well, Jesus says our words reveal what's in our heart. They're like an overflow bubbling up from what's in there. If we have angry words, it's because at heart we're an angry person. If we have vicious words, it's at heart we are vicious. It's, it's almost like it's the first place where you can see what's in people's hearts. It's their words. And our hearts are bent towards sin. And I think it's just worth acknowledging that we need the forgiveness of God. I think that cuts two ways. So if you're someone who tends to go really easy on yourself, and you kind of give yourself lots of excuses, yeah, well, it's fine, really. Just worth taking a second to acknowledge we need God's forgiveness. It costs God his son. It's pretty big. If we're someone, and we, we tend to know ourselves the best, it, if we're someone who goes quite hard on ourselves and really beats ourselves up, it's worth knowing God really was happy to forgive you. He loves you massively, and he willingly sent his son to die on your behalf. Isn't that great? So I think apply that. Either way you fall. Secondly, we need the forgiveness of God. Secondly, we need the example of Jesus. One of the reasons the Gospels in the New Testament are so good is because Jesus is so fantastic with his words. Isn't he? He always says the right thing at the right time. He's always measured, always challenging, always intriguing, and always gentle. Well, he stood up in John 8... In a situation where a crowd wants to stone a woman to death, and he stands and he just says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And then as it goes silent, he looks down, bends down, and starts writing in the ground. Whether he stood in a crowd, a crowded marketplace, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that people can have life, and have life to the full. 
where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes to the Father, sorry, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I, there's a real wisdom to Jesus in that he always treats people exactly as they need to be treated. His words are always carefully chosen. Do you know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. While Jesus was out traveling, Lazarus died. And it hurt Jesus. And he went to go see the family. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And we've got this on a, on a slide. Both Martha and Mary said the same thing when they saw Jesus on separate occasions. Lord, if you'd not been here, my brother would, have done, would not have died. For Martha, it just seemed at that moment she needed logic and reasoning. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Mary, same question, comes to him. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. He doesn't say anything, it's records. He just wept with her. There's a real wisdom that God can give us in giving people exactly what they need to hear when they need to hear it. We need to follow Jesus' example. That's not all the Bible says. Jesus is pretty class. It's hard to follow his example, but it does say that, and we should follow him. He was always honest, always helpful, and always wise. The forgiveness of God, the example of Jesus. Thirdly, we need the transformation of the Holy Spirit. You and I, I hope you hear this kind of every week, you and I, we're a work in progress. If you're newish to church, you look around and you think, oh, all these people are brilliant in every certain way. Well, I mean, they are, you are, but no offense, you're also a work in progress. I absolutely am. We're not there yet, and there's a lot of work to do in our lives, and I'm sure there is when it comes to words. I was reminded of this this week. I, I, had a, I had a squash match last week against Alex, and this often happens. He's like, uh, what do you do? I said, oh, well, you know, uh, I'm a vicar. And uh, he's like, oh, right, what, is, what does a vicar do? And I gave textbook the worst answer I've ever heard to what a vicar does. Do you know what I said? I said, yeah, you kind of just hang out with people and teach them morals. What is that? Well, you need to teach them morals. That is such a stupid thing to say. And obviously he wasn't interested because that sounds really boring. I'm just a work in progress. But you know what's great? And you know what I love about Christianity? Is I'll get another chance. Because Jesus loves me and forgives me. And the Holy Spirit is working in my heart to make me slightly better. And I will play Alex the squash again, not least because he beat me last time, and I reckon I could have him. And when I do, I will say, look, last time you asked me about my job, and I gave the worst answer I've ever given. Can I give you a proper answer? It's all about Jesus. We're all a work in progress. But the good news is God is so committed to truth that he's committed to you and I being bearers of his truth. And he died on the cross to take away all our lies, all our sin all our bad words, and he rose again from the dead, and he gives his people his very self and his Holy Spirit to change us and to mold us so that you and I can have integrity. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you that you care deeply about truth. Lord, you know 
where each one of us is at. You know uh, whether we're feeling convicted, inspired, excited. We pray that you would minister to us. Help us to turn away from untruth and towards Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.